Hello, and welcome to another episode of Growing the Gift, a podcast all about parenting transplant kids. Our goal is to provide support and resources for families who are finding their new normal. We will be discussing what it's like to parent a transplant kid, from dealing with emotions to handling medical appointments. We hope you find this information helpful and that you'll join us for future episodes. My name is Melissa McQueen and I am an executive director. I am stepping in for Sarah Vargas today, who is tending to her expanding family. Congratulations, Sarah. Who do we have on our podcast today? Today, we have Nancy Rothman, who is heart transplant mom and co-founder of Hearts for Emma. We just spoke to her daughter last month. Welcome, Nancy. Hi, nice to be here. We're so glad to have you. So I'm going to jump right in. Tell me a little bit about your journey as a transplant mom. My journey may be atypical of most because we did not know that Emma was sick. We thought she had mono. So with a failed blood draw that ended up in cardiac arrest, 24 hours later, we knew her heart was not functioning. She had a dilated cardiomyopathy, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, and all of a sudden, all that terminology, all that medical stuff was dumped in our laps. And we had a child who was on life support awaiting a transplant. So for me, it was like, boom, all of a sudden, I had to have a journal with me at all times in the hospital because people were talking language that I did not understand. Thankfully, Emma's dad and my husband is really savvy and understood a lot of it. So for him, he was moving right along with the doctors and I felt very confused. The emotional side of it was how do we keep her alive? And the intellectual side of me had to catch up because it was just a lot to take in. I found myself throwing it while we were in the hospital, throwing myself at doctors who said, well, we're going to put a pacemaker in her to see if that will be a stop gap. And me like jumping into this doctor's arms and him saying to me, this isn't the cure, this is the aid. And I just remember going like, oh my God, this is really going to happen. We really have to wait for a transplant. And I was always checked on my driver's license to be an organ donor. Our religion is we're Jewish and gift of life is an utmost mitzvah. So in that regard, I understood it, but I really didn't understand the whole process. So it was a lot of on my feet, very quick education, what was happening and what was going to happen and what the after transplant was going to be like. And I'll never forget that when Emma got moved down to the step-down unit after she had her transplant, the nurse practitioners brought in this big bag. And in the bag was all Emma's new medications, a med tray, and a spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet that had 27 lines on it with all different times. And I looked at it and I started to cry. I was like, how am I going to keep this kid alive? I, you know, it was just so daunting and so overwhelming. But we got her home and we made some adjustments in our house. A lot of things that we have had for 11 years, most people are just doing now for covid you know, we mounted a Purell wall unit in our mudroom. We have Purell at every sink. We took away all the hand towels. We switched to paper towels everywhere. 
to try to limit the scope of infection in germs because we didn't really know what being immunocompromised would mean living day to day. So I, as a mom, I think I went to the extreme. I was so paranoid that when Emma started going to friend's house, I was doing back and calling to the mom. If you're going to have treats or anything, could they be individually packaged or could they be portioned out in cups? In school, we asked for new textbooks because we didn't want old textbooks that possibly uh, were, quote, contaminated. I had teachers wiping down desks before Emma would walk in changing classroom. And some of it definitely was not needed. But I had no idea what was and what wasn't. So I went with my gut of mama bear. I have to take care of my kid. And, and especially when she's not home. So it was a big, big awakening. I rushed to Emma when she arrested from my office. And I never went back to her. I became a stay-at-home mom taking care of a transplant kid. And granted, I had some own health problems that definitely warranted me not working. But this, of course, was the catalyst that made the decision. And I never went back into my office. I walked out that day, ran out that day with my laptop, and that was it. I will also say that one of the things that really helped me when I was those all-nighters and not sleeping was the website CaringBridge. I had never heard about CaringBridge. And one of our friends, and we had people bringing us food and all sorts of stuff in the hospital, and somebody set that up for us. My husband didn't want any part of it. He had his three or four friends that kept him sane and gave him the support he needed. And I found myself once Emma received her transplant, documenting her whole journey in the hospital, our whole journey. And then I kept at it for almost five years. We never took it down. And I think that's something that I probably should revisit and look at it and give an update of how incredibly Emma is doing. But CaringBridge helped me. And when people heard about Emma and that she all of a sudden, quote, needed a heart transplant, all these other uh, transplant families reached out, people I didn't really know, and just were giving us support, not necessarily the tips and how to get through it, but just prayer. And we began to call it the power of Emma, because we had people praying all around the world for her. And CaringBridge was a big part of that. People started reaching out on CaringBridge and I really, really appreciated that because I needed that support. We also have an older daughter. So while all this was going on, we had a sophomore in high school daughter who was getting ready to apply for college and playing sports and all of that. And we had to navigate having a transplanted child at home and, you know, a child that didn't have a transplant. And there was a lot of tension. I can't say that it was all smooth sailing. And when 
Emma, and I'm absolutely going to plug Emma's book. In Emma's book, who 10 years post-transplant, she wrote a book, Things My Therapist Doesn't Want Me to Say, 10 Years Post-Transplant by Emma Rothman. It's on Amazon and it's doing very well. But when people started reading that book and other moms reached out to me to say the same stuff was going on in my house with my kids, I got extremely emotional and I feel like I get emotional now even talking about it because there's no guidebook on how to handle that and that's something that Emma and I we've talked about a lot as she has gotten older that we did the best we could but not all of our decisions and not all of our protocols really were quote the best ones but at the time we did the best we could so if there is something that I wish that I had, I really wish that we had better either social work support or psych help because I really could have used it. And I found myself on year three, um, I became anorexic. Not many people know this. That's how I started dealing with the stress. I just didn't want to eat. It wasn't anything to do with my own body image. It was just that was the way the stress was manifesting with me. And I know it wasn't healthy, but I got through it. And all these years later, I'm fine. But it was rough. It was really, really rough. But I will say that all the aha moments with Emma, as she did, she played varsity volleyball, club volleyball, graduated high school on time, graduated college on time, went away to college. That was a big thing. As all these aha moments happened, it became easier to say, we did this right. You know, we enabled her. My husband and I, without even talking about it, always felt that our job was to enable Emma. We, we didn't want to keep her in our home bubble because we knew that that wouldn't be right. And also the reality is we don't know what the future will bring. So we very, very, very much wanted Emma to be able to do all that she was capable of and then some. And I think in light of Emma's book, although it was gut-wrenching, I feel that we got through it. That's amazing. And I'll just recap real quick because you've just had such an amazing journey and touched on many points that I think is important for other parents to hear. You know, we'll start with the, I'll just go with education that, you know, it's been proven that even anyone in a traumatic situation, when they hear new advice on how to help with things, it takes about 10 times. So it doesn't matter your education level or anything. When you're in a traumatic state with your child, it's going to take a lot of time to kind of learn these new advanced concepts that you're learning to take care of your child. Also, you brought up, let's see, you have school plans. And I will mention, because I know you, that Emma was 12 year old, 12 years old mm -hmm. when she needed her transplant. And uh, you jumped right in, you knew to talk to the school. And there are a lot of resources on our site and on some of our partner sites for, for IEPs and 504s for transplant kids that are already Absolutely. filled out. And you just got to fill out the blank, right? So they're very helpful ones on Children's Cardiomyopathy Foundation website and the Starzel Network for Liver Families. So if you want to check those out or on our website, they're there as well. Tips from other families are always helpful. We kind of have our own community here where we talk with one another, but it's 
it's not the community, the family you ever thought you'd want to join. But once you're in here and you're talking with everyone, it's a community like no other. We do support each other greatly. It's a no drama situation because we've all had something we're very grateful for, the gift of life. And I, the last thing I want to touch on, actually two things, with the health problems. It's very common for parents to get health problems as a result of, you know, helping their child through a traumatic situation. It's kind of the old adage of in the airplane, give yourself oxygen first before you give your child. But we just kind of jump right in full force because it's our child. We're going to help them no matter what. And a lot of us experience health problems. Make sure if you're, if you're finding that, go visit your doctor and talk to someone. It's very important. Better social work and psych care. We could like I swear we could duplicate all of them and still not have enough. I mean, we just need this so much. And I, I was on a call yesterday talking with a group about this same thing and to all of our social workers and psychologists and the transplant teams out there listening to this, how do we duplicate you? And like by a dozen, you know, times it seems like, but I will give parents the advice to escalate it to your family advisory councils, tell them that they need more social workers and psychologists and just tell anyone that will listen because your voice as a parent is far more powerful than you know. But lastly, just so much hope that you've given us, Nancy, with telling us Emma's journey and how she graduated high school and college. Like these are the things that we hope for and played sports. So these are the things that we all wish for when we're, but we're too afraid to hope for in those moments in the hospital. So it just comes moment by moment. So you had an incredible journey as a mom and you've answered a lot of my questions already. I'm going to skip ahead because you started a nonprofit out of this. Will you tell me a little bit about your nonprofit? The name of our nonprofit is Hearts for Emma. It's a 501 corp in the state of New Jersey. New Jersey. Um, we, while we were in the hospital and the months following our community, rallied in incredible ways, as well as our congregation and whatever groups we were all a part of prior to the transplant world. And my husband and I felt very strongly that we wanted to pay it forward. Every night we had 20 or 30 people in the hospital bringing us food and we were sharing food and feeding three units at a time because there was so, so, so much. And about a year year and a half after when the dust had sort of settled, there was money available to us. And we felt that we wanted to put it to paying it forward. And when we began to talk about our experience in the hospital, we realized that we were one families in our hospital on the unit. And out of the 14, only two were local. The other 12 were from out of town. Some of them there as single caregivers because their partners or their family lived far away and had to take care of other family members. And those 12 families were not eating the way we ate. They didn't have their cozy clothes and then some. They didn't have people feeding them and making sure that they were warm. If they needed a blanket, the hospital is always cold, all those types of things. So we started Hearts for Emma as a way to pay forward the kindness and also to recognize the educational component of what we went through. So our mission is to aid families who are in cardiac crisis, whether congenital or anything else, and of course, transplantation. 
And the other side of our mission is we educate and advocate for organ and tissue donation, which has become a really important side of our mission that sometimes people forget that we do this, but we created a program called You Have the Power, and you have the power to save a life just by registering to be an organ and tissue donation. And we give out six college scholarships a year to rising seniors who have either been touched by plant donation and organ transplantation or are advocating. And it's been really exciting to read applications every year and to see what kids really want to do with the educational component. And back to the hospital side, we work in three different hospitals, all in the New York and New Jersey area. And we work, going back to what you just said about the social work teams, we work with each cardiac unit social work team, child life specialists, nurses, and anything that a family needs, we always say ask. So we provide a care bag. Every family that arrives on the cardiac unit, they get a blanket, a journal, a pen, chapstick, soft tissues, earplugs, eye masks, all the things that nobody thinks about, but just those little things And being able that if you can possibly fall asleep, to have an eye mask on so that the bright lights aren't bothering you or your lips get so chapped because it's so dry in a hospital to put chapstick on. And of course, the journal and pen to take notes as I describe my issue with learning all this jargon. But during COVID, we were able to provide um, over 1,300 meals to frontline healthcare workers on our unit. And we were very, very proud that we could pivot so quickly to do that, which is one of the reasons why we are a 10-member board and everybody is a working member of the board and has a portfolio initiatives that they take care of. So we're pretty spread out from food all the way down to change of clothing, sweatpants and sweatshirts, hair accessories for the nurses for during the night when they're doing no rinse shower cap uh, shampoos and they braid the little girl's hair and they want to put ribbons in. And that happened for Emma. The night before Emma got out of bed for the first time, nurses French braid her hair And when she got out and was walking for the first time, I have pictures of her from behind and her hair is French braided. And something so seemingly small is such a big thing for a little girl who is in the hospital. So we work with any other patient support teams in a hospital and trust them that they know what their patients could benefit or how to make a going on four month stay for a mom who's by herself because of COVID, sending her a yoga mat, adult coloring books and markers, things to keep her, especially if the patient is intubated and can't communicate or is sedated. Those are very, very long days and very, very long nights. So we understand that and we try really, really hard to make it just that much more bearable. It's never going to be easier, but it could be a little bit more bearable. And that's what we tried to do. And we just celebrated 10 years in 2022. And we're really excited, really, really excited to move forward. And now Emma will be a little bit closer to home base on the East Coast. So um, 
we're talking that she'll be a bit more involved. She is a board member. So that's really exciting. Very proud that we all believe in it. And it's become something has become way more than paying it forward. I have established relationships with other transplant families that I never would have. And to be able to one-on-one, what is it really like, Nancy, to live with a transplant kit? Did you ever let Emma go to a party? You know, did she have a boyfriend? Like, I'm obviously not a nurse or a qualified medical profession, but I can talk from our experience of what worked for us and what has been working. So there's that other whole personal benefit for me in talking to these families that are going through exactly what we went through. Maybe it started a little bit differently for them. Maybe they knew that their child from birth had a heart defect or needed surgery, but transplant is transplant. And you all go through the same fear and concern, how am I going to take care of my child? So we try to help that. They do a great job. And Nancy, uh, yes, I mean, I love that you have hearts for Emma. I love that Emma's involved in it. I love that you serve that tri-state area. It's so important. And that's why we as transplant families, we don't chapter out anymore because there's so many great organizations in many different states. We're not a competitive community. We're always welcoming each other. Exactly. Right. It's just, we're all thankful to be here and we're like, oh, there's more hands to, to help out. So if you're in the New York area and you want to volunteer, go see Nancy at Hearts for Emma and uh, help Hearts her. for Emma. I have to say heartsforemma.org is our website and I can be reached at info at heartsforemma.org. Just as a quick one, Melissa, yesterday I was in high school for two hours working with a Donate Life Club and they prepared 98 treat bags for Valentine's that have a little bit of candy, but a lot of little fun things of fun sunglasses and necklaces and hair ties and activity books. And we they did some for little kids and for older kids. So I'll be shipping that out to our three hospitals. And they also made Valentine's cards to give to parents that they could fill out to give to their children. Because we know when you're in a hospital, the hospital days get mixed up. And some hospitals, some holidays go by the wayside. So when we were allowed in the hospitals pre-COVID, no matter what day Valentine's Day was, we would set up a pop-up store and have parents and caregivers be able to come into the lounge and shop for things for their kids for Valentine's Day. So we're not yet quite allowed back in the hospitals due to COVID restrictions. So we did it on the outside and now we're going to ship it in. So we love working with high schools, any kind of sisterhood, women's club, book groups. I will travel anywhere that somebody really wants to hear our story and help support Hearts for Emma. I just think it's really important that if somebody is interested, we have to do everything possible to tap into their resources and just be able to do so much more. So again, the website is heartsforemma.org, correct? Yes. Awesome. Yes. Please go visit. My last question for you today, Nancy, is if you had one piece of advice to give a new family, what would it be? Take a deep breath that you have to breathe. I almost get upset when people ask me, how do you do it? 
Well, it's not how, is we have to. So if you breathe and practice a little self-care, as you mentioned, each breath and each step begins to just fall into place. And granted, we've had a few ups and downs and a few twerks, I would say, in Emma's journey. Fortunately, nothing cardiac, but as you know, the rest of your body reacts to having a transplant. And even those bumps, if you just take a deep breath and say one step at a time, one step at a time. And I wouldn't Google a lot of medical terms in the beginning. They can really be detrimental to your psyche. So I wouldn't do that, but I would look for a support group for transplant families. The work that you guys are doing is just incredible. I wish if I had known about you right from the beginning, things might've been a tad easier on the get-go, but we're very, Emma and I are just so thankful that we found you guys and you guys have reached out to us to share our journey and especially Emma's book. So thank you, Melissa. We're really, really honored. And the first thing that I saw of Transplant Families of America was your virtual conference. And I knew from there, the topics that you had, it was the first time that somebody was addressing needs that I had. And even questions for further on, pregnancy and transplant. I'll never forget that workshop I went in because I always wondered in the back of my head, is can Emma get pregnant? You know, is she okay to have a child if she wants one? So your conference and the work that you're doing and the resources that you are putting out there are really priceless. And I really appreciate them as a mom and also as a nonprofit. Thank so you, thank Nancy, you. so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you for collaboratively building the community that we both want to live in. And our conference is coming up again this year. It's the last Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of April. So please join us. Registration will open this month, actually. So it's on our website at transplantfamilies.org. Nancy, it's been such a joy to have you, and it's always a joy to talk to you. Thank you for joining us. I just want to say you can find our podcast on our website, Apple, Google, or Spotify. I hope that you can join us next time. In the meantime, stay well and stay strong.